Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. I'm your co-host for today, Tommy Garrett. You can find myself over on Twitter at Tommy Garrett PFN, senior fantasy analyst here at Pro Football Network. And join myself, as always, is Jason Katz. You can find over at Jason Katz13 on Twitter. Jason, how you doing, my man? Ah, doing wonderful. Making our push toward the season, going into rankings. Just a lot of stuff going on, and we do have some news in the NFL world also uh this week yeah it's it's kind of been the weird time we had that really hyperactive part in the beginning of the offseason where the nfl was just drunk we just want to make every single big trade happen it was all happening guys were signing moving all over the place we kind of hit that lull we always expect like if you pay attention to the nfl calendar year after year like that june into july period it's pretty dead after the draft um you can talk about rookies and say like all you want to but there's not a ton of breaking news going on but actually, there was a little bit of recent news here recently, and that is going to be the retirement announcement of Rom Gronkowski, I guess for the second time, we should say retirement. Um, I know for me personally, I kind of thought he would likely come back just because Tom Brady did. Those two seemed to be attached at the hip. Um, and so for me, it seemed more like it was Gronk. He's a veteran. You don't need him to get there for the rookie mini camps, the OTAs, like all that preseason stuff that is a mandatory you're good to go. You know what you have right now in time within Rob Gronkowski. So it made sense for him to show up like later in the summer. But Rob Gronkowski did, in fact, decide that he wanted to hang up the laces after nine seasons with the Tampa Bay uh, with the New England Patriots and then a brief retirement, then two more seasons with the Buccaneers. Gronk has put in a quote unquote using air quotes here on an audio podcast was always a great idea uh, to put a cap on his career. Second round pick out of Arizona back in 2010. Played in 143 regular season games. Ends up putting up just a ridiculous stat line. He's going to go down as one of the best tight ends of all time. Right there with your Tony Gonzalez, your Travis Kelsey, even as of right now. Um, 621 receptions, over 920, I'm sorry, 9,200 yards and 92 touchdowns. The big thing, it's it's what he's done in the playoffs. Those 22 playoff games, 98 receptions, almost 1,400 yards and 15 touchdowns. All of those were records for a tight end. And it's just the connection that him and Tom Brady have had in the Super Bowls. 40 targets, 29 receptions, 364 yards, and five touchdowns in the Super Bowl. The connection with him and Tom Brady has been incredible over this this time frame. We'll see if he comes back. I know Drew Rosenhaus did put out the statement that if Tom Brady called him midseason, which is something he could see happening, see if he can kind of convince Gronkowski to come out for a Super Bowl run. Uh, what are your like kind of your first overall thoughts on Rob Gronkowski announcing his retirement for the second time in his career? Um. Unlike many, I, I was kind of leaning toward believing he would retire. Yeah, you've uh, kind of been more on the retirement side of the fence here. Yeah, I just I just felt like he came back for Tom. They got their Super Bowl. He decided to play another year. Got kind of banged up again. Missed a few games. And for him, he, he's he's despite his uh, the perception of him as being this you know party boy that doesn't take things seriously. He's he's dealt with a lot through his NFL career. He's been banged up a lot of serious injuries, and he doesn't he doesn't need this. So it was more of he wanted to do it for his friend. He did it, and now and now it's it. He's moving on to the next next step of his life. He's gonna have no trouble finding things to do, finding work. Just he's a great personality. I mean, who knows? At this at this point, two years ago, the, the man was in, was at WrestleMania. So <laughs> so Gronk could do it all uh, if he came back like later in the season for just for the Super Bowl push. Wouldn't shock me. But um, yeah, we're not going to see Gronk at, at least for the start of the 2022 season. And I, I wish him all the best. A great tight end, a, a true, a true like pinnacle of like the 2010s in fantasy and my fantasy career. And like 
guy I kind of grew up with. So it's, it's sad to see him go, but hey, that happens to everyone eventually. It's not even one of those like it's sad to see him go. Is like the NFL is just a more fun place when Rob Gronkowski is involved. He's very much going to kind of be on that Pat McAfee trajectory after his career, where every single door is going to open up wide for him, and he's going to succeed in whatever he wants to do. Um, you mentioned the injuries. I mean, my God, the it's like a scroll if you just unravel one thing for the list of injuries. He's had everything from backs, ankles, hit, forearm, knees, head injuries. The guy has beat himself up but that was also his playing style he's always a very physical style player i would rather run through you than run around you um so yeah it, it sucks not having gronk and around here anymore but i don't think he's going to be getting away from the nfl game in one form or another anytime soon i guess the question is we're kind of looking at the rest of this depth chart on who could step up and you also talked about you know how tom he needed tom like tom brady needed gronk you know if anything he really needs that tied in now more than ever with Chris Godwin coming back from rehab right now. So it's, we look at this pecking order. Does this excite you now for guys like Cameron Brait or even Cade Auden, the rookie this year? Uh, I, the, the obvious reaction after Gronk's retirement is to boost up Cameron Braid. And yeah, of course you absolutely should. He's the presumptive tight end one right now, but I just, I, I'm not overly excited about him because throughout his career, Braid's been in the NFL since 2014. He's already 31 years old. He had a couple low-end tight end one seasons. His career best year was in 2016 when he averaged 11.4 fantasy points per game. But the reality is, I mean, he's been with the Bucs. So if the Bucs believed in him, then they wouldn't be constantly trying to find a replacement. They wouldn't have drafted O.J. Howard. They wouldn't have, uh, they wouldn't have signed Gronk. They, well, they you brought in Gronk because of the connection with Tom Brady. I'm trying to win now, so I'm going to bring in the best tight end of his generation. Like, I can make absolute sense out of bringing in Rob Gronkowski as a duo with Tom Brady. Of course, but you kind of want to see at least a little bit of progression from a guy. Since 2016, Cameron Brate's fantasy points per game has dropped at every season, except for 2018, 2019, where it was kind of the same. I mean, since, right. since, yeah. since 2016, he's only had one season with more than 311 yards in a season. Right, and I mean, last, last season, 245 receiving yards. He played in the most games he's played in his career, ever in a season, with 17. He played in every game, and he had his lowest receiving yards total Outside of his rookie year. I mean, it's so, easy to play in 17 games when you're the third option on your team in your depth position. Like, you're not missing a lot of games when you're tied in three. But um, not getting hit much. No, exactly. And that's the big thing. It's, I think the opportunities are certainly going to be there for him to jump up. Um, it's just interesting when you kind of look into the tight position, which is something we will do in a later episode. I mean, I know Bright was kind of being looked at in like that low 20s range. I think he probably jumps up into like the lower end of the teens spectrum that 18 to like 21 kind of range more than likely it's a it's going to be that group of, of tight ends where it's okay we're banking on some maybe some breakout upside or some some touchdown upside it's very much i think this for me this is a bigger boost to someone like leonard fournette or mike evans inside the red zone than is for anyone else right now i think break will be interesting if you're looking for that later tight end option We'll kind of get an idea throughout this uh, the rest of the season, see if whether or not, look, maybe Kate Auden can kind of make a little bit of progression. I know a lot of people liked him coming out of college. I was one of them, but we'll see whether or not the the Tammy Buccaneers, a team that is very much in a win-now situation, want to trust a rookie tight end. I don't see that being the case. So, I mean, Cameron Bray probably jump him up several spots, but he's going to have a hard time kind of breaking through that Cole Komet, Friar move, David Njoku, Albert O kind of range for that everyone's favorite, like, 
just outside that tight end one kind of conversation. But that is something we will kind of get to on a different day. And what we're going to do today, we're going to continue our rundown of our of our ranking so far for the beginning part of the season. It's still very early, as we're all very much aware of. We went over the quarterbacks. Right now, we're going to take a step onto the running backs, everyone's favorite position to hate outside of kickers. Because um, right now, everyone's trying to find ways to not draft running backs early. Interestingly enough, it's one of those years, too, where I feel really good about one guy, and then I have a bunch of questions. And that kind of see, seems to be the consensus. Uh, we'll run through things. I know for our, for us, just from Jason and myself, we are stock. We're chalk when it comes to the top four. Jonathan Taylor, Chris McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, and Derrick Henry. I don't know how much time we need to spend on someone like Jonathan Taylor. Like, do you have anything you want to throw in here other than just saying the guy is just good at football? Nah, good at football. Overall RB1 last season. We know that historically, uh, he, based on his history, he probably won't finish the overall RB1 this year since it hasn't happened mm-hmm. since 2003 with Priest Holmes. But if anyone can do it, it's Jonathan Taylor, an absolute monster. He scored over 16 fantasy points in 13 games last season. I bring up 16 because that's typically the threshold for RB1 production. 13 out of 17 games, this man was giving you that RB1 production. He His floor is incredibly high. He has the highest ceiling. Well, tied for the highest ceiling of pretty much anyone. And this yes. close offense should be better with Matt Ryan as an upgrade over Carson Wentz. So yeah, Jonathan Taylor, overall RB1. Um, yeah, that's where he's ranked. And I, I want to say don't overthink it. But no, I don't think I, I don't think overthink it. No, I think Jonathan Taylor for me is the number one. I'm with you. I agree. And if I picked if I if I end up with that first overall pick, I'm taking Jonathan Taylor. But but if someone out there wanted to take another guy at, at the first overall pick, I, I think that it's OK if you want to take Christian McCaffrey there. What do you think? No, I think it's absolutely fair. It's we know the talent is never going to be in question with Christian McCaffrey. It just comes down to injuries. Since 2018, Chris McCaffrey averaged 25.6 PPR points per game while finishing as an RB2 or better in 90% of his games. In 2021, he scored 24-plus points in four of his six-plus outings. It's just the injuries that have plagued Chris McCaffrey over the last two seasons, missing 23, 23 games in total. He's entering age 26, so it's not like he's necessarily old. Like Even in running back consideration, he's not past that age cliff. The only problem is like we know this is not going to be a great offense. I know for ourselves, like we've kind of been discussing our projections kind of like behind the scenes. Like we both view Chris McCaffrey as probably the number two target share on the Carolina Panthers. But from who? Is it from Sam Darnold? Is it from Matt Corral? Is it potentially from Baker Mayfield even? Like I love what Chris McCaffrey brings. What I do think ends up happening is more than likely we stop seeing the pure dominance in terms of snap share and opportunities in the backfield like he has had that stranglehold on those past couple seasons where he's been the closest thing we have seen since LaDainian Tomlinson to a true just generational style player as much as we love to throw that name around and that that tag around probably way too often but I think McCaffrey this year they probably taper him down a little bit you bring in Donta Foreman who can be that number two alongside Chuba Hubbard kind of rotate some snaps at the backfield I still have him he's still going to be in like that 220-ish range of carries, which is great if you look at like the rest of the landscape. That's really good. It's just down for what we expect out of McCaffrey, but you're banking on the upside of the receiving game. You're probably looking in the range of around 100 targets, if not more, assuming health, which is the biggest thing. Um, yeah, I have no issue if someone wants to take a gamble on McCaffrey at the 101. I think, obviously, Jonathan Taylor is going to be the safer option, but if you, if you think McCaffrey stays healthy, 
there's absolutely a conversation to be had on who should be that first running back off the board. At least the top two, I feel like, should be fairly secure. If you're sitting at the 102 and you see Taylor go off the board, I feel like your pick is already made for you at that point. If you're going running back, we will get into wide receivers at a later episode, but there is definitely an argument for one Cooper Cup at number two overall if that's the direction you want to go in. Uh, where it gets even trickier, though, is once you get into that middle of the pack, If assuming that you're if you're a Christian McCaffrey guy and you're like, I want to take him as the second running back, great. Uh, but if you pick like four or five and Cup's gone, JT's gone, CMC is gone, we're looking at, and for our third running back, we both agree that it's Austin Eckler. And I mean... I'm sure we, we agree. We both love his talent. I think one of the reasons that people aren't necessarily super in on Eckler or haven't been is, is they're concerned about injuries. But I think he's been healthier than he gets credit for. He's played in at least mm-hmm. 14 games in all but one season of his career. And last season, he finally got that uh, that 16 games, a healthy season. He missed one game with COVID. I know he dealt with an ankle injury, but he played through it. 21.5 fantasy points per game. The overall RB3, 15% target share. And he was third amongst, amongst running backs with... 1.5 fantasy points per opportunity. I mean, this is just an elite back all around. This is a very consolidated Chargers offense where where almost all the touches run through Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Austin Eckler. And I think we're going to see it again. And unless unless Eckler gets hurt, which again, he's a running back that could happen to anybody, I think he is extremely safe and he has, uh, he doesn't have the Christian McCaffrey ceiling, but he has that similar type of play style where his ceiling is higher because of his involvement in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, over the last three seasons, Austin Eckler has proven to become the perfect modern running back for fantasy football. He's not necessarily a guy who's going to kill you between the tackles, but his involvement in the passing game and how good he is in open space is what makes him so special. He was the RB4 in 2019, followed that up uh, by averaging 16.5 points per game in 2020 in 10 games. You talk about the injury. That was the year where he had a grade two hamstring injury that cost him six games. His hamstring literally riffed off his bone. I don't know how else to convey how serious of an injury that is, and he came back from it, which is just shocking. Then they go out and they bring in Saints OC Joe Lombardi, and we're all assuming he might see a role similar to Alvin Kamara. That's exactly what happened last season. Eckler finished as the number two running back, only behind Jonathan Taylor in fantasy football, averaging 21.5 fantasy points per game, racked up uh, 1,459 yards from scrimmage with 20 touchdowns, accounting for 62.4% of the rushing share and a whopping 15.1% of the targets. You got to remember, some of those years also included time where he spent with Melvin Gordon and was really good. In fact, during that time frame since 2019, He's finished as an RB2 or better in 76% of his games while averaging 19.7 PPR points per game. If you're in full PPR scoring, I love Austin Eckler. This team has not gotten any worse. In fact, they got even better this offseason. Look at the upgrades made all along the offensive line. They all in the defense, they bring in JC Jackson. They also brought in Khalil Mack to pair alongside uh, Joey Bosa. I love what the Chargers can do. I think they very have a very good chance to win the AFC West this year, which is a feat. Uh, as we all know how good that division is. If they do that, that means Austin Eckler also had a fantastic gear. There's not a ton of competition behind him. I think Isaiah Spiller probably does get a little bit of run here as that number two, but really, this is Austin Eckler's team with no question about it. Just like it is, we talk about our number four in our rankings, and that's going to be Derrick Henry. The question for Derrick Henry, it's just health. It's the same thing with Christian McCaffrey. The question is, have those rushes has that workload finally caught up to him since 2019 Derrick Henry has averaged 23 rushes per game he has 900 rushing attempts in his last 39 games alone 
uh, in his last two seasons, 24 total games. Henry has 15 games of 100 yards or more on the ground. While we did see the, the rushing streak come to an end, there's no question how good King Henry can be on the ground. My question for you, Cats, is have we seen the best of Derrick Henry, or do you still believe that he has that potential RB1 upside, that number one overall running back upside, if things break right on what should still be a very running-friendly Tennessee Titans offense in 2022? I think there's no question that we've seen his best season already, but that doesn't mean he can't, once again, push that 20 fantasy points per game threshold. Just just, just because 22, 23 isn't, isn't in the cards anymore, that's okay. In fact, last season, um, one of the arguments that I made against Henry was that he doesn't have overall RB1 upside because he lacks that involvement in the passing game. Mm-hmm. We actually saw a, an, an increase that was at least enough to push him over that threshold last year and that he had 20 targets in eight games. He was on pace for by far his highest target share. What we always career. wanted. Right, yeah. It's what, it's what we, it's what, it was the missing piece of Derrick Henry. But now, 28 years old, coming off the broken foot, which even though he'll be well, he'll, he'll be what nine, ten months recovered from it. Even even though that'll be the case, it still has a very high risk of re-injury in terms of just overall injuries. We, we've seen guys in the past uh, refracture this exact foot. We saw it with Julio Jones. We saw it with Julian Edelman. And we even saw it with Kevin Durant in the NBA. So it, it's happened before uh, with that. And Derek Henry, he's a massive human. So if anything's going to happen, that's a lot of pressure on his foot. But even but even if he can stay healthy. There were a little, a little signs of maybe some chinks in the armor last season. Uh, the Titans, yes, as you said, fifty point seven percent run rate last season, second highest in the, in the NFL. Uh, the concerns are that Henry is very game script dependent. He needs them to be able to run the ball, and I guess we've seen them run the ball while they're losing. They just sometimes just don't care. But I'm concerned that the Titans are going to be a, a seven eight win team this year if they're not in games and they're not scoring as many points and Henry's not scoring touchdowns. Derrick Henry does not produce RB1 numbers without touchdowns. He just happens to score a lot of them. I mean, this is a guy who scored 10 touchdowns in eight games last season, 17 the year before, 16 the year before that. The man scores touchdowns. If that touchdown rate drops, uh, it could be a problem. We also saw his efficiency decrease last season. He averaged 4.9 yards per carry in 2018, 5.1 in 2019, 5.4 in 2020, dropped all the way to 4.3 last year. Which is still good. That's still good. It's yeah. still good, absolutely. It's, it's still good, but it's not what we expect from Derrick Henry because we view him as this mythical creature. Uh, so, so the question is, can can he get back to the higher fours in yards per carry and maintain the incredible volume that he just piled on? I mean, this this man, as you said, he leads all running backs in total touches despite having missed nine games last season yeah. uh, over the past two and a half years. So it, there's just a lot. A, a lot of a lot more variables than we typically like to see. With that said, though, every year I question Derrick Henry, and then what happens? We see we see the season start, and there he goes, twenty five carries, 100, 120 yards, a touchdown or two, and and we're like, oh, why did I fade the king? So so Derrick Henry's right up there, number four for us. Uh, so Tommy, who do we got at number five? Number five, I think, is where the conversation starts. I think if you're in a lot of leagues, who is the fifth running back off the board? I know for me, we are both different on this one. But the way our kind of rankings end up working out when we kind of weighted them, Dalvin Cook came in at the number five. I know this is who you have as your number five running back. Um, I know I have someone personally a little bit different. I have Dalvin Cook at number six. Why should fantasy fans be so um, so in love with Dalvin Cook this year, especially on what should be a new offense? 
Yeah, there are definite. There's some concerns with Cook. We we know that he, he always misses a couple of games every season, and there's the new offense. We know Alexander Madison is talented, but what we've seen from Cook is that when he's healthy, he is the guy. It does not matter how well Madison plays. As soon as Cook is is healthy, they put him right back into that role. Maybe that changes under a new regime. I I just don't think so. He averaged 20.9 fantasy points per game in 2019, 24.1 in 2020. Why did that drop to 15.9 points per game last season? Is he falling off? Did something strange happen? No, it was purely touchdowns. That's it. He only scored six times last season, well below his expected touchdown rate. And that is bound to regress this season. If Cook gets back to the 12, 13 touchdowns that he should be scoring, we're going to see him right there in that top five running back scoring that, that we're accustomed to seeing. I'm buying a Cook bounce back, but we need to just factor in that we know he's going to miss a couple of games throughout the season. Uh, yeah. The thing I will say to everyone Expect every running back to miss at least one game. Injuries are a thing in the NFL. Like, don't sit here and project people to play. I'm going to get guaranteed 17 games. I know what I'm getting at every running back. You don't. Like, everyone gets hurt for some reason or they miss a game. Look at what the Bengals did last year and they just rest everyone in week 18. Like, it's easy to sit here and say, okay, this guy is more injury prone than someone else. But like, expect a running back or any position, any player you have in the NFL they're probably going to miss game miss time at some point or another. And I think Dalvin Cook's injuries have a bit been a bit overblown, similar to what Brandon Cook's. I feel like Brandon Cook's injuries were always a little bit overblown, and people said he was more injury-prone than he was. Look, I mean, Dalvin Cook last year, for the first time since 2018, failed to top 1,500 scrimmage yards and double-digit touchdowns. A quote-unquote disappointment season for him would be a career year for other running backs in the NFL. He just had fewer opportunities in the red zone despite having 71% of the red zone carries. Ended up being 45 carries inside the 20-yard line compared to 64 the year prior. It was the lowest he had had in his three seasons with 26 of those carries inside the 10-yard line and just 15 inside the 5. In 2019 and 2020, 19 of Cook's touchdowns came inside the 5-yard line on, on 47 attempts. So I think the volume is going to be there for Cook. What I, what I do think will be better is I think we're going to get a a more 21st century style offense is the best way to put it because we have seen the change in the coaching staff. I like what they've done with this team too. They added some help on the both sides of the football. Um, Kirk Cousins will be fine this year. I think he's a he's a decent quarterback. He is the vanilla ice cream of quarterbacks. Like you're cool with him, but you're not like, oh, hey, look at me. I got a scoop of vanilla ice cream. It gets the job done. Don't get me wrong. And it'll quench your, and it'll like, Take away the little sweet tooth, but it's not it's not moving the needle for you too much. But I think Dalvin Cook will be just fine. It's still going to be a linchpin in this offense, one that is getting back Irv Smith Jr. for inside the red zone. It's still going to heavily rely on Justin Jefferson and be its number one while Adam Thielen makes his return off of injury. Um, coming in at number six for us, and this is who actually was my number five. Um, that's actually Joe Mixon for me. I know we both do like Joe Mixon, what he could bring to the offense this year uh, for Cincinnati. 25-year-old, made the made his first Pro Bowl last year, bounced back in a big way after an injury in 2020, recorded his third 1,000-yard rush season of his career, end up with 1,205 yards, while scoring 16 total touchdowns, 13 of those on the ground in the 60 games like we talked about earlier, like the Bengals arrested him. Outside everyone but Jamar Chase, because Jamar Chase was going for Chad Johnson's all-time record. The big thing with Mixon was we finally saw the, the much-anticipated utilization of the passing game. His 48 targets were his highest since 2018. Um, there's a bit of a concern that he wore down towards the end of the season. He did average 3.9 yards per carry in his last five games. But I think what cannot be understated is the improvement that this offensive line that he's going to be rushed by has made going into 2022. We we thought they were going to do this last season and said they took Jamar Chase instead of Panay Sewell. 
safe to say they end up working out. But this offensive line is so different this year, and I love what the Bengals have done Like as a team. I, I don't think la- what happened last year was a fluke, and I'm still in on Joe Mixon. I think he could see like that 280 carry, 60 target kind of range, which is going to be one of the more impactful running backs you see this season. I'm very high on him. I know in my rankings and my projections. I know you have Cook ahead of him just a little bit higher, but I feel like this is more like just kind of cutting the edge right there. I think these two guys are very close. Am I wrong on that? Uh, no, you're spot on. I'm very yeah. close between between the two. That's why they're they're right next to each other in my rankings. Uh, Joe Mixon is he's a bit of a throwback when it comes to just most of the volume coming on the ground. But like you said, he was more involved as a receiver last year. He had his career high in receiving yards at 314, and he matches career high with three touchdowns. We don't need Joe Mixon to be Austin Eckler or Christian McCaffrey. We just need him to get enough passing work to supplement what we know we can do on the ground. And I actually like Mixon to score to score a ton of touchdowns this year. I know he scored 16 last year. I think he can replicate that, possibly even exceed it because of the improvements the Bengals made on the offensive line. Last year, Joe Mixon averaged 1.6 yards before contact. And that is just terrible. I am, yeah. I'm quite confident that with the additions of guys like Lyle Collins, that this will be much improved this year. If he can get that to even 2, two 2.5, that, that will go a long way in improving his efficiency. And he is one of the few backs that has a realistic shot at 300 carries, which is just, I mean, 20 years ago, you had, you had 10 backs with 300 carries a year. Yeah. Now you're lucky if you get one or two. And I think Mixon could be one of those guys. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm super high on Mixon this year. And another guy that we are both incredibly high on is uh, – oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm dropping the gun a bit. Jumping the gun. Sorry. Uh, the segue I should have gone with is talking about the guys with 300 carries, and we're going to go with one who actually got there last year, and that is your guy, Najee Harris. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, he, I, he I let- love Najee Harris. Don't get me wrong. I think the thing with Najee, it's, it's the volume. That was the big thing that he got. Led the NFL in touches last year with 381, accumulated just over uh, 1,650 total yards with 10 touchdowns. I think what made him remarkable, and you brought this up with Joe Mixon, it's that offensive line. Of his 1,200 rushing yards, 76% or 913 came after contact. That's 2.97 of his 3.9 yards per carry coming after first hit. That's where Joe Mixon is really getting that boost because the Steelers didn't get that same type of offensive line upgrade that Joe Mixon got. So I'm not concerned when it comes to Najee Harris when it comes to his workload. I think he's going to be just fine. Finished as the, I believe it was RB3 last year in PPR formats, 18.4 points per game. 104 opportunities, 94 of those, which was tied for first amongst running backs, came from Ben Roethlisberger and his rather anemic arm at that point via targets. Uh, Harris came in first, led the NFL in reception amongst running backs with 74, and also had 467 yards with three touchdowns, averaged 1.48 PPR points per target, 23.4% of his total opportunities accounted for 46.1% of his output. That's nearly a three-to-one aspect of how much those those targets were important for him. That's also part of my concern for Najee Harris this year. I feel like he might regress a little bit based on what we saw last year. I don't know if Pickett or Trubisky will dump the ball down to him just as much. I'd like to see the rushing get a little bit more efficient, especially coming from the offensive line, but I just don't know if that volume we saw last year carries over into 2022. Yeah, I, I share your concerns when it comes to the efficiency. Uh, 
I do think that Trubisky and Pickett will be better quarterbacks for the Steelers than Ben Roethlisberger was last year. But will this offensive line be better? And I mean, we talked about the 1.6 yards before contact for for Mixon being terrible. I mean, Najee was just at 1.3, so it was somehow even worse. Uh, yeah. but, but but we know volume is king, and I, I, regardless of how the Steelers are as an offense, Najee's going to be a safe pick because the volume is going to be there. Unquestionably. Now we can get to the guy that we're both super high on, and we are both way above consensus on him for now, although I do suspect that the consensus may catch up to us as the summer presses on, and that is on Leonard Fournette. Yeah. And I, I'd i absolutely love Leonard Fournette. Leave us off here. I Tell mean, me why. Why are you big on Leonard Fournette this year? Tell me why. I mean, part of it is that I, that I took him last year, and I was in on him, and he, he paid off, but no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Look, if guys do well for you one year, I'm very likely to come back to you for another year. I want that second date. The first night went well. I want that second one. So I, I can totally see why you go back to a guy. Why are you going back to the well? I mean, it won't be as good as taking him in the sixth round and, and getting second round value. But That's right thing. now, yeah. right now he's going the second round. And I know it's a little early to talk about ADP, but like if he maintains second round I, value, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why Leonard Fournette is not a first round pick. What is there not to like? He I actually a have three- a hard time seeing him getting into the second into the first round. I think that second round ADP is going to hold. It might be on the upper end of the second round ADP. But I think it's probably going to be realistic what we see come draft time in August. I mean, we'll get into this later on. But that's one of the reasons I really want to pick at the back end this year is because I want to take Leonard Fournette in, in the early second round in every league. Because if I pick if I pick early, I'm probably not going to get him in that late second round. But early second round, yeah, I want Fournette. Because what is there not to like about Leonard Fournette? He is a three-down back in Tom Brady's offense that leads the NFL in passing and, passive, and pace of play. Last year, he tied DeAndre Swift for the most targets per game with six. He is still just 27 years old. This is an offense that's going to score a lot of touchdowns, and we could see their passing touchdown rate drop a little bit and Fournette possibly get up there into that 12 to 13 rushing touchdown range if that happens and he maintains the passing volume, which I think he can. Fournette has has top five upside, and that's just that's hard to get when you get outside of those top – eight to 10 consensus backs. And that's where Fournette is right now. And, and I mean, if, if he gets there, great for him, but I hope he stays where he is. Cause I want all the Fournette this year. Yeah. I'm right here with you. Uh, last year, 14th in scrimmage yards with 1266 with 10 total touchdowns. Uh, really just cemented himself as that number one in the backfield, which was a question going into last year was playoff Lenny Lombardi Lenny going to translate over into 2020 into 2021. Could he hold off Ronald Jones? In week one, it answered literally that question. Because that was one of the things I was tracking that opening game was the snap counts. I want to see who was getting the lead. And it was clear. This is Leonard Fournette's team. Ronald Jones is a complimentary back. And Giovanni Bernard was the number two. Or I should say, he was the uh, the passing down back. He was that third down. He was the true passing situation, two-minute drill. That was his role. But that's not to say that Leonard Fournette did not get utilization in the receiving. You talk about how he was with uh, DeAndre Swift. He actually finished just five targets behind Rob Gronkowski with 84, ended up uh, recording 69 receptions, very nice on the season for 454 yards with two touchdowns. End up finishing third in the NFL amongst running backs in targets, receptions, and yards, only behind Austin Eckler and Najee Harris. We mentioned at the beginning of the episode that Rob Gronkowski has announced his retirement. There is a decent correlation between targets between tight ends and running backs. I like Rashad White coming into the NFL. I like what he can do, but he's clearly going to be the number two on this team with Ronald Jones now in Kansas City. This is Leonard Fournette's team, plain and simple. Um, so if you want that top five upside like you're talking about, 
getting Fournette in round two makes a ton of sense, whether or not you want to double tap on the running backs early, or if you want to go with someone like a Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, even maybe a Stephon Diggs towards the back end of round one, tap that with a Leonard Fournette. I think you're sitting in a great position with Leonard Fournette as your RB1 this year. I'm right here with you on this one. So for me, that gets a ton of sense. He does come in as our RB8 this year in our early rankings, I should say, because I guarantee you these will change a lot between now and then, but they'll probably just shift around a little bit amongst their own tier. Coming in number nine, it's this is an interesting one. Um, I think for me, he came in just a spot higher than he did for you. That's Alvin Kamara. The question for Alvin Kamara right now, it's do you think he's going to play the entire season? That's the biggest thing. Because going back to the whole off-the-field issue that happened last year at the Pro Bowl in Las Vegas, given the court case was deferred to a later date, I feel that he likely plays all year. I actually do feel a little more safer in Kamara, and I think what we saw last year was a totally different utilization. Without Drew Brees under center and with Jameis Winston suffering that torn ACL midseason, Alvin Kamara had a career high in rushing, averaging 17.5 attempts per game, which is kind of shocking because it's never really been his role. He was never that true pure volume guy. He always had like um, someone like Mark Ingram behind him as that kind of dynamic duo in the backfield. The thing that kind of saw a hit was his targets. His targets dropped from 7.1 in 2022 to 5.4 in 2021. Granted, 5.4 targets per game is fantastic when you look across the league, but it's because like Alvin Kamara had that drop in his ceiling to where, okay, yeah, I can absorb this and still be good because he was still number six months running backs in targets of those 67 targets, holding 47 passes, which was tied for ninth. He was seventh in yards and had five touchdowns. I think he still brings a high floor for fantasy. Um, I just He doesn't have that number one upside anymore, but if you think he's going to play all season, and especially on a team that has a question mark at number one, you bring in Jarvis Landry, who I think he's still talented, but he's not the Landry we saw when he was consistently underrated in fantasy and all would finish between like the wide receiver 13 to 15 range. I think Kamara has a good shot to still be well inside that top 10. You look, he's been an RB1 in seven of his 13 games last year and was inside the top 24 in 70% of his contests. For a guy who saw a substantial drop in his targets, that's a remarkable floor. If we see any increase in his targets coming back up from that five, closer towards that seven range, he's just only going to smash. But I still love him where he's at right now, even at five targets per game, knowing the type of rushing upside that he can bring because he doesn't really have anyone else he's competing with this year. What are your thoughts on Kamara right now? I'm going to throw a little bit of cold water on this. Um, cool. I mean, I'm not too low on him, obviously. You know, you have him eight, I have him 10, so that's how he came out to nine. But uh, we still have, so, he's an RB1. Like, plain right. and simple, he's an RB1 who is sliding in drafts. I'm able to get Kamara right now in mocks in the third round, which for me is crazy. But it also, kind of like, the running back position is being devalued a little bit. We'll talk about with some other guys later on in some future episodes. But yeah, carry on about Kamara for you. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you give me Kamara in the third round, I'm going to take him because I don't care how down I am on a guy. Yeah, that's RB1 in the third round. Yes, sign me up. But here are some concerns with Kamara. 20.2% target share last year. Great. Still let still let all running backs. So the volume was still there despite the increase in the rushing. The problem is the overall target pie of that of where that 20% was coming from decreased significantly and that's why you saw as you as as Tommy just mentioned the yards uh, sorry the recept the 
wow, the targets per game dropping by almost two. The Saints threw the ball just 52% of the time. And, I I mean, normally you'd say, oh, running, great for running backs, not for Kamara. We want him catching passes because a target is worth almost three three times as more valuable as a rush. Saints also seventh slowest pace of play in the NFL. Sean Payton's gone. How's that going to change? And then the the biggest concern is what happened to Kamara once they brought back Mark Ingram. And as of now, I believe Ingram is still on the team for this year. I, I'm not 100% sure of this. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I looked and it yep. looks like he's still under contract. Um, I'm assuming they're going to keep him around this year. I know he's well over the age of 30, but they still believe in him. And he can kind of still just, just run straight and be that bruiser that they want. Last season, with the Saints, Kamara played nine games without Mark Ingram and averaged 20.6 fantasy points per game. That's a guy I'm drafting inside the top five. With Ingram, in just four games, though, so it's admittedly a small sample size, 12.7 fantasy points per game. That is a guy I don't want at all. Uh, so, so it, I mean, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, but it depends on where he ends up falling in ADP versus how confident we are that he'll be closer to the ceiling versus the floor when it comes to Ingram being involved. And so that's my little bit of caution when it comes to Alvin Kamara. Now, the one thing I will say is when you talk about when when Mark Ingram got here, Mark Ingram came to New Orleans in week eight, which is not far away from when we started when James Winston suffered his injury. So you're also dealing with a New Orleans Saints team that did not have James Winston as their quarterback. So I think the overall offense suffered in that exact same time period. I agree there is going to likely be a little bit of a split there between those two guys. Um, but give me the give me the PPR upside. That's all I want in my running back right now. Like I said, if I can get Alvin Kamara at a bit of a discount because of the situation going on with his with the team itself and the question marks there, how James is going to look at it, and also like hopefully we have by the time we're drafting an answer on the legal situation that happened off the field. I'm so sick and tired of talking about off the field legal situations right now. It's absolutely killing me. But yeah, I, I, I still feel okay about Alvin Kamara. You have guy one spot higher and we basically flipped right here on these ones for uh for coming in for us right here you actually have deandre swift as a guy you had above alvin Kamara. why do you love deandre swift so much because quite frankly i'm probably going to agree with everything you're about to say you know you know it's funny i came into this the season when i did my rankings thinking like oh you know what i might be down on swift because last year or the second half of the season he saw his target count drop and he had this but i mean he also had the shoulder injury they started using uh, Craig yeah. Reynolds and Jamal Williams more, and even after Swift returned, and I understand he came BK. back. For, yeah, I understand that Swift came back uh, from an injury, but it was for two meaningless games. Why bring him back if you're not going to use him? And that seems to be kind of what they did. Uh, with all that said, as we as we alluded to earlier when discussing Fournette, Swift tied with him six targets per game, led all running backs. He should still be the lead back this season, and there's a lot to like about this Lions offense. I mean, we we kind of preach like. We kind of make fun of Jared Goff, but this is this is a man who has supported two fantasy relevant receivers, a tight end, and a running back in the past. And he, on a team that went to the Super Bowl, Jared Goff is he's not incompetent. He's a capable starting quarterback. He's not elite. He's not great, but he's good enough. The thing I I will not use the term. There are a lot of mouths to feed, but there is Amon Ross St. Brown. There's T.J. Hawkinson. There's D.J. Chark. There's eventually going to be Jamison Williams. This offense overall got better. The offensive line even got better. It should be a top five unit, but we need Swift getting those targets. And as as great as Swift is as a receiver, targets to wide receivers are more valuable than targets to running backs, no matter how good that running back is. And there is a little bit of a fear that they may just throw to their improved wide receivers at the expense of Swift. 
But I'm kind of still banking on the fact that Swift's going to be heavily involved as a receiver. I think that he maintains at least a, a 15-ish percent target share. Uh, if, if Goff's throwing... If, if Goff's throwing somewhere in the range of 570 passes, that should give Swift well over 80 targets and put him in a situation where he should have a very high floor. And again, if his offense has improved and Swift even gets a little more in terms of red zone touches, he only had 27 last season, then we could see a ceiling season from Swift. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Jared Goff, look, he's he's no, nothing you're going to write home about, but quite frankly, when the lights come on at the bar and there's only one person left, you realize, yeah, they'll get the job done. That's Jared Goff. Um, but I'm with you on DeAndre Swift. The thing we, I, I love looking at too is like what changed last year. And really it happened. Uh, he had an injury happen last year from weeks one through 11. DeAndre Swift was incredible. He was the RB five in PPR scoring averaging 18.5 points per game, 20.4 opportunities, 97.2 yards and 0.6 touchdowns per contest from weeks one through 11 with Dan Campbell calling plays. The lions were very dedicated to the rum. And this is a club that is rebuilding. That's rebuilt is moving quicker than some might realize only 23 years old. I think he absolutely is going to finish probably like inside the top 10 in in points per game at the running back position. I'm a big fan of Swift. He was one of the top running backs of his class without question. Um, There was no reason guys got drafted ahead of him. Uh, But yeah, I'm a big fan of DeAndre Swift. They still have Jamal Williams in this backfield. And Jamal Williams was the guy who I loved last year as a very sneaky 200 opportunity style player. Like I said, they both dealt with some injuries, but I still love where this Lions team is going overall. I think DeAndre Swift is at the center of all of that. Uh, moving on here, we're outside the top 10. We only got a couple more names to go here. We'll hit on number 11 um, for us. And you have him actually as number 11 in your rankings. And that is James Conner, a guy who was an absolute workhorse uh, last year for the Arizona Cardinals coming over. One of the guys who a lot of people are kind of seeing as a bit of a regression candidate, just given the fact the amount of touch, the amount of touchdowns that he had last year is going to be very hard for him to duplicate. Should fans and managers right now be kind of buying back into James Conner as an RB1 this year? Or do you think that the touchdown regression could really hit James Conner hard this year heading into 2022? I am torn on Conner because I do believe that when Conner is on the field, he's going to be the guy we saw last season. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying he's going to average 23 fantasy points per game last season, which is what he averaged in five games without Chase Edmonds. But he still averaged 14th points per game last season with Chase Edmonds, and that was because of those touchdowns. And I know you mentioned the touchdown regression. I'm not sure if there's going to be that much touchdown regression because the reason that he appears penciled in for regression is because he was scoring so many touchdowns in these games where early in the season he was only getting short yards and goal line work. Chase Edmonds was the lead back with Connor as just the short yards and goal line guy. And once he took over, uh, then all of a sudden he's getting he's getting all these carries and it, it just it it made it appear as if he was scoring more touchdowns than he should have. I kind of think he's he's he scored as many as he should have based on what his role was. Uh, yeah, the rate won't be the same, but the volume on the over the course of the season will be greater now that Chase Edmonds is gone. The Cardinals don't have anyone that's going to really compete with Connor for touches. I mean, I know so that for they, you, the increase in the role offsets the potential loss of some touchdowns, a couple of touchdowns here. Right. The touchdown rate is going to drop, but the volume is going to increase. My primary concern, of course, is as always with Connor is his health. Once he, once the Cardinals committed to Connor as that lead back and, and, and when after Chase Evans uh, got hurt, Connor immediately got hurt himself. He, he, he tweaked his ankle right away. I, I don't know if he, he may have missed one game total, but he, he got hurt. And it just, it reminded you that this is, this is a player that when he gets those 20 to 25 touches a game, just can't hold up. And if, if they don't 
ease the workload off of him with somebody else. And right now, I'm afraid that they may not, based on the players on this team. We could be looking at a guy who's who's puts up that like top five numbers for four or five weeks, and then just and just gets hurt again. But as long as he's healthy, I like Connor. How you feel about him health wise will will determine how high you're willing to take him. So basically, you're going to ride until the wheels fall off at that point if you do draft him. If you do, yeah. And again, when it comes to running backs, we mentioned this. Every single running back is an injury risk. Oh yeah. So it really comes. It's they they all they all can get hurt. It's a position that takes a lot of punishment. So it's tough to fade a guy slowly because of injury. If we're if you're fading Connor because of injury, then why aren't you fading everybody else? It Fade just, Christian McCaffrey it's, it's, then too. Exactly. So it's it's kind of the same thing. Ultimately, if if the price is right and Connor's the highest player on my board, I'm not going to be afraid to draft him. And this is someone who who was really fading Connor last year. I said he was terrible. He, he was done. He wasn't good anymore. And you know what? He, he proved me wrong and, and he, he made me a believer and I'm a believer again. Now, real quick, if you do take Connor, who are you taking as the, I guess, your pseudo handcuff as the guy you want by him? Are you going with Keontae Ingram? Or are you taking uh, Darrell Williams? I'm taking Darrell Williams. I, I think Darrell okay. Williams, Darrell Williams, however you pronounce it, he is the primary backup. I think that the reason the Cardinals signed him is because they like the way he played that role in Kansas City. We saw him back up Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We saw him, dare I say, outperform Clyde Edwards-Hilaire when he was the lead back at pretty much yes. every turn. I don't think it was close. It wasn't. <laughs> I, was, I was being. I was being nice. Uh, yeah, you won't. You won't find Clyde Edwards Lair being discussed amongst us uh, for quite some time. Uh, but uh, but but Darrell Williams. He's he's this he's this quintessential uh, replacement level type running back who really shouldn't be good. There's no reason that a guy who runs a four seven two former UDFA should be good. But but Darrell Williams is just he's just solid. You put him in there and he will get the job done. And if something happens to Connor. Williams is going to be valuable. And so he he's a guy that I'm definitely interested in taking, given Connor's uh, injury track record. Uh, but I'm not sure if Williams will have any standalone value. But again, I do think that it would be a major upset if Connor played 17 games. So Williams will be on fantasy radar at some point. I can guarantee you, if anything happens to James Connor, Darrell Williams will be the number one running back waiver wire claim whatever week that is. I can, I can spoil that inning to you right now. Speaking of the inning, we're on our last running back here. And I'm going to let you take this one. You've got Ezekiel Elliott as your number 12 running back. Why are we all in, or why should we be in on, be in on Ezekiel Elliott, especially when you love yourself some Tony Pollard? Convince me on this one, man. It's a bit rich coming from me because I have now for well over two years been beating the drum that Tony Pollard is not only better at football than Zeke, but that is not even close. And last year, the numbers proved that. Tony Pollard was better than Zeke. But here's the thing. We know good old Jera is committed to his beloved Ezekiel Elliott, the man that he gave this exorbitant contract to, and they are committed to getting their money's worth. It doesn't matter how well Pollard plays. If Zeke is healthy, he's going to get um, the vast majority of the touches. And even when he's not healthy, as we saw last year, playing through that torn PCL, they still fed Zeke. He just wasn't efficient. But, I mean, I think rumors of Zeke's demise are greatly exaggerated. Assuming he is healthy and over this injury, he averaged 19.1 fantasy points per game over the first six weeks of last season. That was, that's RB1 numbers. That is, that is classic Zeke. That's what we've come to expect from him. Over the remainder of the season, he averaged just 12.5 fantasy points per game, with co- which coincides with what was allegedly occurred in, in week four, which was the, the knee injury. So he had a couple games yes. after that where he managed, and then from week, six, from week seven on, he struggled. Uh, but even though Pollard is better, I think that Zeke enters the season healthy, and if he is healthy... He's gonna get uh he's gonna get the touches that we're used to seeing from him and this Cowboys offense they play faster than anyone in the NFL they're they're an explosive offense they have a lot of weapons they're gonna score a lot of touchdowns when they get to the red zone they give the ball to Zeke touchdowns will be there 
goal line carries will be there. As long as he's healthy, uh, I'd be surprised if he wasn't an RB1. And, and I mean, again, early for ADP dog, but as of right now, you can get him in the third round. And I mean, that's just, that's just unheard of to get a guy like Zeke in the third round in, in modern fantasy football. Yeah. And it's like you said, you know, you've been saying for multiple years, how Pollard is the best running back they have. The only, only opinion that matters, the one coming out of the star down there in Dallas. The only thing that matters is what they think. It does not matter what any of us sit here and say. We can preach until we are blue in the face that Tony Pollard is a better running back. But unless something changes down there, it's not going to matter. And as of right now, nothing is saying anything is going to change. Zeke last year, even in a down year, extended his streak of RB1 finishes to six years in a row, finishing as the RB6 in PPR scoring. Additionally, saw 302 opportunities, and those were even the lowest since 2010 when he only played in 10 games. Like the thing with Zeke, he was 15th in PPR uh, in PPR scoring. It was like I said, it was just the efficiency. He was number 28 in points per touch at 0.84 uh, points per touch, with a minimum of 75 touches overall. Kind of like weed out some of those outliers. The thing still, Zeke rattled off RB1 finished in 35% of his weeks last year and finished outside the top 24 while finishing inside the top 24 in 65%. I do agree that I think Tony Pollard is unquestionably going to be impactful on this team. It's just when they get inside the red zone, it's going to be Ezekiel Elliott's offense. Um, I think Pollard is worthwhile as an RB3, no question about it, but you're looking for the upside. You're looking for those touchdowns. Ezekiel Elliott is the guy who's likely going to give them to us, and he's a guy, he, like I said, similar with Alvin Kamara, someone you can get at a very good value in your about the third round of your drafts right now. That's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by a Pro Football Network. We will be back with our next one, breaking down the uh, remaining running back. Kind of go through running backs are uh, 13 through 24 to kind of round out our top part of the selection. If you enjoyed today's episode of the show, please feel free to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. It does greatly help out and helps the show grow. Uh, and continue. Stay up to date with Pro Football Network through all the latest news and happenings over there at ProFootballNetwork.com where you can get analysis covering not only fantasy football, but breaking news around the league, college football, betting, and the NFL draft. And speaking of the draft, it is never too early to start getting in your mock drafts for the 2023 season. To do so, head over to ProFootballNetwork.com forward slash mock draft. Head on the MDS. Send us your screenshots. Let us know how you think the first round or all full seven rounds if you're a degenerate like the rest of us are. You can follow Jason over on Twitter at JasonCats13. You can follow myself, Tommy Garrett PFN, over on Twitter. Speaking for Jason, I'm Tommy, and I will see you guys for another episode of the show.